the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. God brought a child to a woman who had been barren for many years. His name was John. We know him as the Baptist. He was a child sent from God to go before the coming Messiah, the chosen Savior of the world. Then, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, Savior of the world, would be born to Mary, a young woman betrothed to a carpenter in the city of Nazareth. The days came for both John and Jesus to be born. Thirty years have passed between chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Luke. John baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, hearing God say, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. At the start of Luke chapter 4, we saw Jesus had fasted for forty days and nights, being led of the Spirit into the desert wilderness, seeking God. Satan came to tempt Jesus. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 4, verse 3. Sometimes we fast when we must make an important decision and we really need to hear from God clearly. Those are all great times to fast. Now, what fasting isn't is trying to get God to do something you want him to do that he doesn't want to do. In other words, it's kind of like a child who says, I'm going to hold my breath until you give me what I want, you know? And for me, I'm, I'm not a good dad. I would just be like, all right, you have to breathe eventually because I know you're not crazy enough to die, so... But that's, we can't do that with God. Like, I'm not going to eat until you give me what I want. You know, that's not what fasting is. We're not trying to change God's mind. We're trying to tune our ears and our hearts to hear more clearly from him. You might be saying, 40 days? That's crazy. Nobody can live for 40 days without food. Now, there's been many well-documented hunger strikes from 21 to 40 days. The key to survival is hydration, and Jesus didn't stop drinking water. Um, now, once you get past 40 days, even hydration will keep you alive. Organs begin to fail, and death is imminent, uh, depending upon how healthy you were going into the fast. Uh, so uh, it shouldn't surprise us then at the end of his special time with his father that Jesus is now hungry. I mean, 40 days have gone by. The body's beginning to break down. He needs to eat. But it also shouldn't surprise us that this is when the devil attacked him. Listen, guys. Satan does not play fair. He will strike you at your most vulnerable moments and on your very worst day. And that's why Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, to be sober, to be vigilant, just like Jesus had been during these 40 days. He was filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, yielded to the Spirit, spending time with his Father. He was ready for this fight, even though the enemy caught him at his weakest moment. So what happens? Well, verse 3, And the devil said to him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made to bread. So here we see Satan's first temptation. Now, 
The word if, you have four types of clauses of if-then statements in, in the Bible language. Um, one is the clause of reality. Uh, so it's not really an if, it's, it's, it's because it is going to happen. So we should translate the word if here as since. Satan is recognizing that Jesus is God, that he's the son of God. And so he says to him, since you're the son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. It's interesting, Matthew 4, 3 actually tells us it was these stones, and he uses the plural for bread. So I imagine in this part, he's going, he's holding a stone, you know, and he's like, you could make as much bread as you want. Why not turn all these things into loaves of bread? Satan's argument is simple. You need food, and you're God. I know your father said he's really happy with how you're doing as a man. This is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. I get that. But how's that working out for you now? You're miles from food. Why don't you just do this and take care of yourself? You're on the verge of dying, Jesus. You don't need to solve your problems like the rest of humanity. Turn all these rocks around us into loaves of bread, and then we can have a meal together. Would it be wrong for Jesus to turn the stones into loaves of bread? Morally speaking, not at all. But this strategy does have three issues. Number one, consider the source of the solution. You know, Satan. <laughs> Jesus describes Satan in John eight forty four as one who is a liar and has no truth in him. Let me translate that for you. He never tells you the full story. He might give you bits and pieces of truth. He might even give you 90% truth. But it's never going to be 100% true, which means it's always going to be trying to lead you astray in some way. Always. Always. You must consider the source. You will never do well if you listen to that voice, no matter how innocent the temptation might be. The second thing we need to consider about this strategy is that Jesus' purpose in coming to earth wasn't to show us how perfect God is, although we do get to see that, and the Bible declares that on numerous occasions. Jesus came to the earth to die for our sins, but to die for our sins as a perfect sacrifice for our sins means he had to be the perfect man. So Jesus came to show us something else. He came to live as man was supposed to live so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sin, the just for the unjust that we might be saved. The third thing we need to consider about this strategy is that if Jesus tackled this problem as God instead of man, he could never sympathize with our struggles. These two verses could never be true. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. In Hebrews 4.16, it talks about how he's a high priest who can sympathize with the feelings uh, of our infirmities, with our weaknesses. It says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why? Because he was in all points tempted like we are, yet he didn't fail. That's the truth that we need to understand. If Jesus tackled this problem as God, if he looked at his hunger and he said, oh, well, yeah, I will just turn the stones to bread. Well, how could we relate to that? Like, can we just magically, all of a sudden, let's look at our culture. How are we going to tackle this problem of guns? You know, how are we going to tackle this problem of kids getting shot up in our schools? All right, well, we'll just say, problem be gone, and it's gone. We can't do that. How do we tackle the personal problems we have in our own lives? We can't just say, poof, and it's gone. If he were to do that, that wouldn't apply. It wouldn't be true. Jesus had to tackle this problem, one that God led him into, as a man would need to. 
So how would a man tackle this problem? How would a human being deal with this problem? Well, look at verse 4. And Jesus answered him saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. I think there's a few important things we need to understand here about how we resist the enemy. Number one, Jesus answered him. He didn't ignore him. Ignoring the enemy's attacks doesn't make him go away. You know, you can't just go and say, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. That will not work. Okay. Let me tell you another. I hear people do this all the time. And if you do it, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just telling you it won't work. Blasting praise music does not make the enemy go away. All right. And I don't care what the charismaniacs say, and they're like, oh, the devil has to flee when we sing, you know? Just because Kenaniah sang and Jehoshaphat sang and, and the Midianites and the Moabites and other people fled doesn't mean we can apply that to spiritual warfare. The Bible tells us specifically what to do when the enemy attacks. And it wasn't turn up the radio. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do, but if that's your solution and you're wondering why you're struggling, because I've had people tell me that. Well, I, play the, I start playing the praise music, but the temptation's still there. Well, it will be. You're not really facing the enemy. You're ignoring it. You must, hear me, you must address his lie. You must address his lie. How do you do that? With the truth. Well, what's truth? The scriptures. Jesus replied, he answered, and he said, it is is written. That's a more powerful statement than just going, the Bible says. There's an authority behind it. Literally, it should be translated, it stands written and is still in force. That's a little bit different, isn't it? It's not just the Bible says. God said this years ago. He set it down as a principle. It is truth, and it still applies to me right now. You can't just do that and go, it is written, uh, Jesus wept. Maybe if you're struggling with pain and you need to know the Lord's there and the enemy's telling you Jesus isn't there, he doesn't care, yeah, then that verse would work, all right? But if you're being tempted with lying on your tax return or if you're being tempted about cheating on your spouse or if you're being tempted about stealing from work or calling in sick when you're not, you know, all, any of those things, if you're being that, Jesus' wept isn't going to work. You have to quote the appropriate scripture. Now, Jesus, in this instance, quotes Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. Why? Well, let's, let's look at it. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we'll look at the first three verses. Three is the one he quotes, but we need some context here to understand why he quotes it. Deuteronomy 8, beginning in verse 1, says, All the commandments which I command you this day shall you observe to do. This is God speaking to Israel through Moses. That you may live, and that you might multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these 40 years. Isn't that an interesting number to find here? 40 years in the wilderness. Oh, where are they? To humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and suffered you or allowed you to hunger. And he fed you with manna, which you knew not. Neither did your fathers know, why? That he might make you to know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. What a fascinating verse to quote in his circumstances. 
Jesus who hadn't eaten for 40 days, who's in the desert, who it's a time of testing. Israel had been through a very similar trial 40 years in the desert. But if you know their story, as we've been covering it in Numbers, they failed to trust God in this time of testing over and over and over again. This simply perpetuated what Adam failed to do in the garden. When we do the same thing, when we don't trust God's promises, when we disobey him. By quoting this to the devil, Jesus hearkens back to that time and says, listen, I don't know who you think you are, but I didn't come into this desert and spend 40 days in devotion to my father to whoop you as God. I can do that any day. I came here to succeed where mankind had failed. I came here to win back what they had given to you time and time and time again. I came here to whoop you as a man. I don't need to turn stones into bread to solve my problem. My father has an answer for me, and it's this scripture, the same promise that every human being must trust in when they find themselves in an awful spot, when they find themselves in need. You know, Israel frequently complained and even rebelled against God when they were in need. But every time, God had a plan to take care of them, didn't he? Every time. (laughs) Jesus stayed dependent upon his father's promise, and he had no need to take matters into his own hands. And you know, that means you and I don't need to complain to get God to do something. We don't need to go against his word to meet our needs. I must trust in the promises in God's word, and I need to do what he says. That's how a person who's led by the Spirit, yielded to the Spirit, and filled with the Spirit lives. Now you might be saying, but Pastor Will, everybody needs food. True. Luke doesn't mention it, but Matthew and Mark say that angels came to serve him in some capacity after his temptation was over. All he needed to do was hold out for one more day. (laughs) One more day. My guess is that that ministration included some food, like how Elijah was fed by ravens. I'm sure the Lord took care of him. And yet... Jesus doesn't address his food need here. He addressed the fact that everyone has a deeper need than just food. He says, man shall not live by bread alone. That's how people have to live every day, Satan. Yes, I'm the son of God. Yes, I could turn the stones into bread, but that's not why I came out here. I came out here to beat you as man. And man needs to learn to live by every word of God, and that's what I will do. You know, if Jesus had done what Satan suggested, He'd have met his bodily hunger need, but is life about doing whatever's necessary to continue to exist? I mean, is that what life is about? Doing whatever's necessary to just keep on breathing to wake up the next day? Is life about going from one bodily craving to the next until the body dies? You know, it's interesting. There are two words for life in the New Testament. One is the word bios. We get our word biology from it, the idea of life. It just refers to the mechanics of life. You know, I have bios. I'm moving. I'm breathing. I'm living, you know. There's another word that's used, and it's the word zoe. We get our word zoology from that. That's where the comparison ends. It doesn't mean animal life, but zoe means spiritual life, life as God intended it to be. There's a difference between existence and living And God wants us to live. In John 10.10, he said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that you might have life, and that more abundantly. That's Zoe. See, the enemy wants to rip you off, and he's perfectly content with you living bios, you know? You just keep on existing. I'm good with that. But he doesn't want us to have real life. See, Jesus wouldn't experience that kind of life 
by doing things the devil's way, the easy way, because there's always a price to pay with that way. Listen, you and I don't ever have to disobey God to meet our needs. True living comes from trusting in his word and doing what he says. Well, what does the scorecard say after round one? Jesus wins, hands down. And it would be great if the devil left him alone at this point. It would be great if the devil left us after a single victory. But he didn't do that with Jesus, and he doesn't do that with us. But you know what's interesting when we look at these verses? Go ahead and turn to Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4, 14. It says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. And the Hebrews had gone through terrible suffering. They were being persecuted by their own people. They'd been estranged from their own people. They were having a hard time in the Christian life. And, and they had thought about, well, maybe we'll just go back to Judaism. The writer of Hebrews is writing to them to tell them, don't go back. Hold on to your confession of faith. Keep following Jesus. Why do we do that? Because we have a high priest that has passed into the heavens. For it says, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched or sympathize with the feeling of our infirmities, with our weaknesses. But he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Here's the crazy thing, guys. You and I don't have to defeat the devil. He's already defeated. The Bible says that Jesus triumphed over him openly. It's the word that was used for the Roman general when he would parade the army into town and he would take the enemy captain and he'd put his foot on his neck. That's what he's done to the enemy. He's a defeated foe. He has no power in our lives in that sense. Jesus already defeated him. So here's the key. When I walk in his power, when I'm led by, submitted to, yielded to the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, then I too can resist the enemy and be victorious. Now, if you try to face him in your own strength, you will fail. <laughs> you will fail. You know, if you're not going to spend time with the Lord, you know, which the Bible says is how, one of the ways we are filled with the Holy Spirit, If we're not going to spend time with the Lord, if we're going to face him in our own strength, then you're right. You will fail because he's bigger than you. If you're not a believer here today and you think, well, all right, I'll take him on, you know, you will fail too. One of the funniest stories in the Bible, the seven sons of Sceva, they were professional exorcists, but they weren't believers. And they heard how Paul was casting out demons and and they were being successful. They thought we can make money off this if we use the name of Paul, name of Jesus, when we do our exorcisms. And so they went to a troubled individual who had problems. And they said, we adjure you, you know, foul creatures, demons, whatever, in the name of Paul and Jesus, whom he preaches. And you come out of that person. And you can almost kind of hear the laughter. (laughs) Paul, I know. And yeah, I know Jesus. But who are you? And they beat him, all seven of them, one guy. You can't do this on your own. But if we walk in the Spirit, move in His power, He's already defeated foe. That's the whole idea of Christ in us, the hope of glory, that He lives through us and He changes us. He's the thing that gives us that life abundantly. Life on a different level is what that word means. Life better than anybody else has it. So as you go this week and the enemy and his forces, they withstand you, resist him. Make sure you're prepared by having time with the Lord. You know, fasting if necessary, especially if you're struggling in an area of your life. And when it comes, stand on the word of God because you'll win every time. Amen?
Amen. It's interesting when we look at Hebrews 2, it mentions that, you know, he was tempted so he can understand with us. And maybe you're here today and you've got, you got struggles. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord. And you're like, I don't know how to fix my marriage. I don't know how to have fix my own life. You can't. Only the Lord can. But first you've got to come to him and make things right with him. You say, how do I do that? It's simple. You repent. That word means you change your mind. You've been going one way, trying it on your own, doing it in your own strength, doing it your own way. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end leads to death. So you need to stop doing it your way. You need to confess. What does it mean to confess? It means to agree with God. Say, Lord, I, I have blown it. I have fallen short of your standard. Will you please forgive me? I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. Will you wash me in that cleansing blood? Will you make me your child? And will you live in me and change my life? God's promises that he will. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for this wonderful truth in scripture that we see that you went out there not to fight Satan as God, but as man. So that we can never say, oh yeah, well, he's God. Of course he succeeded. No, Lord, you did it as man. And because you succeeded where we fail, we can turn to you that you might help us in our own weaknesses, that you might live through us. You who never failed when the enemy tempted you would be victorious through us in our lives. So we give that to you, Lord. We commit to you this week that we want to be those who, like you, whether we're in a desert or we're in a time of prosperity in our lives, to be those who are devoted to you, those who are seeking your face, that you might fill us with your spirit, that we might be empowered to stand against the enemy in that wicked day. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Maybe you're here today and either you're not walking, you haven't been walking with the Lord or maybe you, you don't know the Lord and you'd like to change that. You'd like to repent. And you'd like to give your life to Christ and, and you want to walk with him moving forward. Just lift your hand up because I'd like to pray with you this morning. If you're here and you want prayer because you're not right with the Lord or you've never known the Lord and you want to turn around and you want to repent and you want to put your trust in him and and get on the right path. If you want prayer for that this morning, before we close, just lift your hand high because I'd like to pray with you. Lord, I pray that you fill us with your spirit even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Jesus did not need to reveal himself in his full glory to defeat Satan and his traps. Jesus did not need to call down legions of angels to overcome Satan. Jesus beat temptation by simply stating the word of God bringing truth into the lies that the devil had on display. The same is with us. We only need to be filled with God's Spirit, using the Scriptures, the truth against the lies of our adversary, the devil. Simple man filled with the Holy Spirit is more than enough to fend off against the wiles of the devil and his army. But this presupposes we know the Scriptures. This presupposes we are in prayer and being filled with the Spirit of God. Seek out God wholeheartedly, and the truth shall set us free. We will see victory when we do as Jesus did. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. 
You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.